0: You're listening to Catalyst for Change, and my name is Jessica Huckabee, your host. I started this podcast to learn what makes people resilient after challenging events and how they've used those series of events as a catalyst for change in their life. You'll hear stories of resiliency and strength, so get ready, sit back, and be prepared to be inspired. Today, my guest is Susan Gideons. And Susan is a woman that represents what so many women have gone through. Substance abuse, emotional abuse, grief, depression. She calls these her zombie years. For the last five years, she's put in the blood, sweat, and tears to claw her way back to life. She carved out a path to find herself again. She asked for help and she developed a limitless and growth mindset. She changed her perspective. She changed her language. And today she'll share her story. It's uplifting. It's inspirational. And Susan's story shows us so much about what a deep desire and dedication. With that, anything is possible. And on the other side of hell is joy. Thank you, Susan, for coming on my podcast, Catalyst for Change, Stories of Resiliency. So tell me a little bit about what's been the catalyst for change in your life. Wow.
1: Um... The moment that I knew I needed change was I was either going out to dinner with a friend or going on a date. I could, I can't really remember which. Yeah, And I realized that I was so boring and had nothing to talk about and was kind of like the shallow, empty human being. I call it my zombie state yeah. because of everything that had happened the prior 10 or so years. And there was just a moment where I thought, I have nothing interesting to say, either to a friend or to a date, whomever. Yeah. It's what, and what's the point? This is no life.
0: Yeah. Oh, interesting. And so, what made you into that zombie type person that you didn't recognize? Yeah,
1: that was a really, really hard moment and then a really difficult, challenging 10 years. Um, back in 2002. Prior to 2002, I was a raver girl in San Francisco, a bartender, and just living the good life. I'd left the country. I had moved to the big city, and it was just a party. It was everything I wanted. Yeah. And um, I had this roommate named Marvin, and he was one of my party friends. He was also my roommate. He was also my soulmate. He was gay. Yeah. um, But he was also the first man first person that taught me what absolute true unconditional love was. I could be a total jerk. And he's like, I love you. And I could be wonderful. And he's like, I love you. It just never mattered. He just, he
0: broke my heart open.
1: And in just unconditional
0: love. love. Oh my gosh. You don't come across that from a friend very often.
1: Not at all. And he knows my, she knew my shadow sides. He knew my dark sides. He knew I could be really, Short-tempered and kind of crabby and yeah. kind of demanding, and he just loved all of me, oh
0: and it didn't matter. Magical person, magical.
1: Yeah. And we could sit in his room and listen to music and not say a word for hours, and just be yeah. in each other's presence. I mean, everything, everything. And well, June of Gay Pride, two thousand two, we were out doing our usual dancing in the streets at Gay mm-hmm. Pride. Um, partying, we dropped a bunch of ecstasy like we used to do a lot. Yeah. And he was acting really weird. His, everything, he was completely about music. I used yeah. to kind of tease him. If you make me mad, I'm gonna remove three seconds of every song. <laughs> and that would like be devastating. He was super into music. Yeah. So, but he was sitting on the curb that day and it was really weird. Okay. So I'm like, we're going to the doctor. So that next week we went to the doctor and he was diagnosed with meningitis. Okay. And then we went on a 30, 35 day journey to try and heal him from meningitis. We lived in the hospital. I lived with him in the Mm -hmm. hospital. He came home for a moment, but went back to the hospital. And then things went very, very wrong, very fast in the hospital. And Mm -hmm. all of his organs started shutting down and he went into ICU and I was the decision maker and the doctors came out and said, mind you, all of our friends were there. Everyone was coming in and out of the hospital. His friends, most of his friends didn't even know he was positive.
0: Yeah.
1: And we had to tell him, we ha- him. HIV I both- positive. Yeah. Okay. We had to tell the friends when he got meningitis. Yeah. And we told them, I told them that he would be okay. And that comes in later. Um, Anyway, so we're at the hospital and everything started shutting down. Kidneys, liver, the drug you get for, um, the drug they give you for meningitis is called amphotericin and the nickname is amphoterrible because it's just disgusting on your body. It is really, really, really toxic.
0: Yeah. And what was Um, that drug to treat? I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. It's meningitis.
1: Okay. Okay. Meningitis attacks the brain and the spinal cord, yeah. um, and in many, many cases, it can be healed. People get it all the time, but yeah. if you're HIV positive, uh, it's not so good. Yeah. Um, so his, the, the drug was really working hard on his kidney and his liver. Of course, all of our drug use prior to that didn't help anything, and all of his bodily organs sh- started to shut down. Well, the doctor came out and said, you have a choice. We can keep them on the machines Mm -hmm. or we can turn the machines off. And in an instant, I said, turn the machines off. And the doctor walked away and I ran tearing my ass down the ICU unit, like all the way down, running at full sprint, screaming at the doctor, don't turn the machines off, don't. And I did this cycle of turn them on, turn them off a couple of times because I was just losing my mind yeah eventually a few days later he passed away um and when he died i died with him metaphorically yeah um anyone can go into my house after 2002 and see tons of picture albums up to 2002 and then there was a moment in the middle of that picture album where there was not a picture again for a decade Wow, And any stranger walking into my house would be like, Oh, the person that lives here died. I didn't. Wow. He did. Yeah. It was really hard. So at that point I had a choice, either keep doing drugs or not. Cause from the time he got sick that entire time I'd quit drugs. Cause I was not leaving his side. I wasn't going to go party. I wasn't going to go downstairs from the hospital room to smoke. So I would quit everything, literally smoking in everything everything wow. in an instant. So I at least had the foresight after he passed away, knowing that this hurts so much that if I do drugs, I'm never coming back from it. Yeah. So I never, I never did anymore. Thank God I had that foresight. Yeah. Even in the middle of grief and trauma and everything else. Um, so then I went on a path of le- leaving my friends for the most part, leaving my body entirely, leaving my life. I mean, yeah. I just went down this case of sheer, a well, Walsh, just a depression. Yeah. A cliff. Yeah. Cliff. And um, I knew that was going on to a degree. My yeah. friends probably didn't because in the meantime, as I am going down this cliff of depression, gaining a ton of weight, I gained, gosh, probably a hundred hundred to 130 pounds.
0: Wow. And what were you before? Were you really thin like, from
1: 120? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, super just normal. Right? Oh, normal. Okay. Normal. 120 skinny. Um, and I got, I went to school. I got a bachelor's degree. I got a master's degree and I got myself a career in biotech.
0: Wow. All the while, just depressed. zombie zombie. Yeah. Just going oh through the motions. How in the heck? Did you, did you get through all the the success and it was
1: easy? I didn't have to live my life. I could just be heads down, zoned out, focusing on school, focusing on work, did not have to deal with the grief, didn't have to deal with depression, didn't have to deal with the PTSD, didn't have to be in my body and feel anything like going to school and getting a career at the time was my way of numbing out. Yeah, You know, a very successful way of numbing out in the sense that it carries your life forward in a way. So it was kind of weird. And then, so that went on for a decade. And then I hit that moment where for some reason I decided to go on a date or meet a friend. And I literally thought, I've got, I have nothing to talk about. And it was just that instant where I started to realize, oh my God, I died.
0: I died with him and
1: I let myself just fall into a cave. Let the PTSD take over, let the grief take over. I let everything take over. And part of it was because I turned the machines off. Yeah. I had taken on this story that I killed him. Um, Even though about, I don't know, maybe eight weeks after he passed away, I ran into one of the nurses. and. She said, I'm not supposed to do this, but do you want me to tell you what the autopsy said? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She's like, his brain was mush. From the minute he showed up in the hospital where you thought there was hope, there was never any hope. And the, I knew that eight weeks after he passed away.
0: But she but wouldn't believe it.
1: I wouldn't believe it. I killed him. Mm. I, and our friends, a lot of our friends blamed me. They said, you said he would be okay. Oh. And, you know,
0: so, so not only was, did you lose him, like the magical, like you yeah. once in a lifetime loves you unconditionally, finish yeah. each other's thoughts, accepting. Yeah. You yeah. lost all your friends. A lot of them. There, a was, of a, there
1: was a, there was a, there a handful that stuck around. I also, about six weeks after he passed away, I realized that my boyfriend of, oh, I don't know, eight years or so. Yeah. Was cheating on me and had a baby or had two babies with another woman. Oh my gosh. So my whole world crashed that summer. How did you find
0: that out? I mean, like
1: what gosh. was the, I feel like I was pretty numb to life. Yeah. So I can't say for sure. I feel like I saw a card in his car, like a Hallmark card or something yeah. that tipped me off. But I could be mixing things up.
0: Because you were just like zoned. You, you just weren't paying attention to the signs. You weren't like thinking about it.
1: Yeah. 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 So the, yeah, 2002, the summer just crashed my world. Yeah. And um, it, was, it was pretty wild. Uh, I don't remember a lot of it yeah. because I was fully zombie. Like now I joke. It's not really funny, but I guess it is now or not. In a sarcastic, in a sarcastic kind, of kind of way, is, you know, we think that zombies are in movies and we think they don't really exist here on Earth. But yeah. I disagree entirely. I think there are a lot of zombies walking the face of this Earth. Yeah. And they are numbed out and they are in grief and they are in anger and they are in trauma. And so many things can happen to a human. Yeah. And depending on how we handle it and how we move through it, we may become a zombie. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be permanent. And I'm Mm -hmm. here to say, it doesn't have to be permanent. I grew out of my zombie years. How did
0: you snap out of that? How did you snap out of your zombiness? So it's, that's amazing. Most people don't. I, I would say, I know a lot of people that are, as you described, they're in that zombie mode and they just, they need to snap out, but it takes a certain catalyst. Just yes. get them out of it.
1: It takes a catalyst. And I think it also takes. Have you heard the phrase? I'm going to get this wrong. When you're in pain, something like when you're in pain, you either stay in it or it's because it's too painful to make the change or it's too painful to stay in it. So you make yeah. the change. Well, I think growing up, I always loved being eccentric. I loved being extroverted. I loved having a lot of friends and being kind of a wild child and yeah. dare me to do something. I'll do anything, you know? And I think in that moment where I realized how boring I was and that I had nothing to say at dinner for an hour, yeah, I think that started to shake the cobwebs like, wait a minute, that's not me. Yeah. Like, people can't get me to shut up usually like when I was a kid, right, yeah. in my 20s. <laughs> and I think that was the moment where things started to switch a little bit. And then it became oh gosh, a five year it's been 7 years now since that moment. Yeah. But it put me on a journey of clawing my way back to life. Literally yeah. clawing my way back. Because it's not, you can't just flip a switch, or maybe some people can. I couldn't just flip a switch. I had to set myself out on this process, this very, very, very long, detailed process yeah. to find myself again. And it, it became about figuring out how to grieve him, mm-hmm. how to forgive myself. Yeah, yeah. That was a crazy hard one um, and that actually forgiveness really only finally came to fruition about three years ago. Um, I, had, I had done pretty well for a while um, mm-hmm. that I wasn't, I wasn't in devastation mode for several years. And then about three years ago, I don't know what happened, but I went back into full devastation mode, just like how I felt when he died. Yeah. Crying myself to sleep, hysterical every night. Um, It just kind of came out of nowhere. And I finally just said, forget it. I need to talk to a medium. And I went out to Miraval in the Tucson, Arizona desert, because I knew they had mediums. I'm like, I don't know if these people are real. I don't know if I believe in this, but I will try anything at this point. And I saw a medium and she said to me, who is the man, what did, he, what did she say? She said, who is the woman wearing pearls and who's the man that looks like Elvis? And that was... And I knew. <sighs> and, um, and everything she told me that he was saying... From that instant, I've never had a day of grief again. It's just gone. I'm forgiven myself. He's forgiven me, although he says there's nothing to forgive. Yeah, It just all released in that moment
0: around
1: him. Oh, it was life-changing. It was life-changing. So that was cool. But then going back to clawing my way back to life, it was about forgiveness. And I got that many years later. I also was introduced at work to this thing called the personal excellence program. And I work in biotech and it just happened to be a leadership course, um, that when you go into leadership, it's one of the courses they recommend you take. Yeah. And part of this course was teaching you, it's called a three point check-in, but essentially it's medication medication. It's meditation. Okay. And it's getting, it's teaching you to get back into your body. And so there right then starts this wild transformation and, and clawing my way back to life. I yeah. learned how to get, I take a bunch of different courses. I learn how to get back into my body. I start working with meditation and start to calm my mind. Um, not stopping it, just kind of chilling it out a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I start doing this work around, and mind you, a lot of this then brings in therapists and coaches and
0: <laughs> so you've done that route as well. Oh, I've done
1: all of it. Yeah, I've done all of it. Good, good for you. All of the different pieces yeah. they start to pile on top of each yeah. other, right? And they start to create this bigger, big picture. Yeah. For me, anyway. Um, and in the meditation. It gave me space in my brain to just not be so hard on myself. Mm-hmm. And then I started teaching something called Crucial Conversations, which is neither here nor there. It's a business oh, thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, a book. book. There's an it's author. A, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> a book
1: thing, of that. And there's a big course you can mm-hmm. take. But in that course, they do a lot about storytelling. Like you tell yourself these stories that are not true. And based on that, you have miscommunication. And then I was like, huh, what stories am I telling myself? So then I started on this journey about understanding the stories that I tell myself that take me down rabbit holes, that cause more trauma, that cause suffering, that cause me to be angry at someone or all of these things that can happen. Yeah. And I sat in that space for quite a long time. I mean, I'm still in that space, but I sat there as a beginner. Yeah. Really just trying to uncover what am I allowing my brain to tell myself that I take as fact and I own it like a badge of honor. Yeah. It's just not true. And that was a massive, massive piece of me Clawing my way back to life, right? Yeah. The first big story that I had to get over was I killed Marvin. Yeah. There was a release there. Um so it's just it's really interesting. The path and the process to learn about yourself again. Yeah. Then I started wondering people kept saying, well, are you happy? And I'm like, what the hell does happiness mean? I literally had no idea what happiness meant. Yeah. And I started, of course I Google it and I'm like, what is the definition of happiness? I'm like, okay, I still don't know what that means. Yeah. (laughs) And then I finally was like, okay, forget it. I'm not gonna figure out what happiness means. How can I do things that make me feel happy? So I literally went all the way back to childhood and I started thinking, because I couldn't figure that out either, right? Like, do what that makes me happy? I was just really stuck. Yeah. Um, and I was set in a bunch of old thinking patterns and old behaviors. And finally, I was like, okay, what did you do as a kid? Because when you're a kid, for the most part, not all, this is not true across the board, but for some kids, yeah, that is when you were your most honest, true self. Right. Yeah. The world hasn't gotten to you yet. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Depending.
1: Depending. Um, your friends haven't broken your heart yet. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the teacher at school hasn't told you, well, you're going to be dumb and
0: you don't try and be
1: a biologist maybe. Right. (laughs) And so I went back to start thinking, what did I like to do as a kid? And I started revisiting some of those activities and that is actually one of the big things that broke me open yeah. to figuring out, oh, do more of what you love. And if you don't know what you love right now, do what you used to love
0: and yeah. see
1: if you still love it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good point. Like do what you used to love if you can't figure out what you don't, what you, what you love right now.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's a, at least it's a starting point. Right? Yeah. And then you can figure out, well, no, I really don't love this anymore. Great. Now you have a piece of information that you can work with. Yeah. What about it don't you love? Is there something the complete opposite? Go try that. Maybe you'll love that. Right? Yeah. But it gave me an anchor, a starting point to start to kind of crack open and break open um, where to start finding some joy and start rediscovering who I am. Yeah. Uh, and then I went on a path of figuring out what my values are and with finding my values, and this is coming very true today, especially in the last six months, I've done a lot more work around my values and really holding true and using them as an anchor to make decisions. So Mm -hmm. if a decision comes towards me and I don't know which way to go, well, then I get to ask myself, well, does it honor my values? And if it does, great, do it. And if it doesn't, then don't do it because then you're not going to be authentic. Yeah. Um, So that was another thing that I started studying about myself, studying in the concept of values and why we need them and then implementing them for myself just as another element to figure out, well, who am I today? Yeah. And the whole process of clawing my way back to life was really just a process of finding out who am I today? Yeah. What am I about? What are my interests? What do I believe in?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause yeah, you went from this like empty shell to like figuring out like who you, who you were, you had to figure out who you were all over again. Cause you weren't that girl in 2002 doing drugs or going to raves. You weren't mm-hmm. that kid that was like this, you know, exhibitionist, like you have to like, you know, wild and crazy. That wasn't you anymore, but who were you? Right. So what was the thing that you went back to that you knew you loved? Well, I've gone
1: back to horseback riding.
0: Nice. Um,
1: so I ride horses again when I was a little kid. Well, I guess junior high elementary school, I played the flute and the piano. Nice. So now I'm trying to play the saxophone, which is horrible. I'm so bad at it, but,
0: but it's, it's fun. Yeah. As long as you're having fun and yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so a few things from childhood have come forward
0: That's and good. then I have
1: found all kinds of new things. I have figured out who I am and what I'm about, what I care about. Yeah. Um, I have a whole new tribe of people that are like-minded, that are kind and compassionate and supportive.
0: Yeah. And
1: that took a long time for me to let people in. I bet. Um, Yeah. My, my grief was so deep Mm -hmm. and so traumatic that many years ago, in between today and the time Marvin died in 2002, in between that, uh, my best friend at the time got cancer. Okay. And the day I heard she had cancer, it wasn't too long after that that I was like, I can't be your friend. And I left her
0: Aww. in the middle of
1: her having cancer. It, I don't regret many things in life. That is certainly one that I regret. Yeah. But it triggered so much PTSD that I was like, I am not going through that again. Yeah. We're, we're friends again today. I've apologized good. and she's still here with us. That's still,
0: good to hear. It's yeah. good. She's
1: still fighting cancer, but she's doing well. That's good. But it's important for people to know if you don't work through your stuff, it's going to come out again Yeah, at the worst possible time. Like a very dear friend who you love immensely needs you and you walk away. Yeah. And I would have never been that person. That was not me, but living in a state of zombie, it became, you knew you
0: couldn't be there for her. Like she needed you to. And you kind of just said, Nope, can't handle yeah. it. Yeah. No,
1: can't handle it. Cause I never worked through the stuff to begin with. Yeah. If I had the same tools now and you learn to work through things, then you can move past it, which is, and then be there for the next thing. The next situation. In situa- life yeah. It comes at you. Um, which takes me kind of to today and I'm doing breath work. So about a year ago, I found breath work.
0: Yeah, tell me about that.
1: Oh my gosh, it's everything. It's transformational. It has completely changed my life. It's a particular, there's different breathing patterns. Um, it's, it's an active participation. It's not like meditation where you just sit and watch the thoughts pass and try not to attach to them. There's it's active breathing. And what happens is, is all the trauma that gets stuck, both big T and little t, that gets stuck in your body. Yeah. Good breathing patterns hyperoxygenate your body, but it also helps to unstick stuff that's been there. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, you know, you got, somebody called you a name on the playground, that gets stuck in our system if we don't process it. Car accident gets stuck on our system if we don't process it. Grief, yeah. turning off the machines to your best friend, yeah. leaving your other best friend when cancer arises and the guilt and shame that comes with that, it all gets stuck in our body if we don't process it. And breath work is this very cool thing that has allowed me to process and get rid of the stuck energy. Um,
0: where are, are you it, learning about that? <laughs> yeah. Tell me more.
1: There's this woman named Samantha Skelly. She is down in San Diego. I believe she runs pause breath work. So she's, excuse me. She's my teacher and I'm i te- I'm learning to become a facilitator. So I okay. will be delivering this to other people. It's so transformational. I'm like, people need this. Nice. And it, it, it just helps you breathe. It's amazing. Um, But it also, for me, it helped to actually create more space in my thoughts. It gets me even more into my body and understanding when a trigger is happening and what it feels like that I can move through it, that I now can sit with it and process it. Um, Yeah. And each of these are just more and more steps on that ladder of clawing my way back to life. Because now when I can sit in my body during a moment of a trigger, regardless Mm -hmm. of how big or how little, and I can sit with it and I can breathe through it, it gives me so much more vitality in life. Yeah. Um, I don't have to turn to alcohol. I stopped drugs in 2002. But with that space and increased vitality, you don't want a glass of wine at night. Yeah, I just don't feel like numbing out. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I need to feel, which I can't believe I even say. No, no, yeah. no. I need to feel.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And I still have a glass of champagne every once in a while. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I love my champagne. Yeah. But I'm not drinking it every night to just kind of settle things. Right? Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. I need vitality. I need to feel the joy. I need to feel the irritation. Yeah. And it's, it puts me, it has put me more, in tune with my life that I get to keep now adding so many things compared to seven years ago where I was like, okay, I just need to find one thing that I understand brings me joy or makes me happy. Now I have so many things that my life is so rich. Yeah. Next time I have a date, I won't shut up. I've got yeah, so many you have s- interesting things to talk about now.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. So, so how are you now? Yeah, let's get to, like, how are you feeling now? Like, what's it's, going on in your life?
1: Oh, my gosh, it's amazing. Um, so many things are just showing up at my front doorstep now. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still working in biotech. Okay. Um, but I'm now hosting a podcast. That is just pure joy, like to do something for no other reason than creativity and fun. Yeah. So I'm hosting a podcast, um, just meeting really cool people, shining a spotlight on really interesting people doing cool things in their community. Love it. And then I'm putting together a workshop uh, for women. At first for women, I want to partner with a man to deliver the workshop to men, I think a man needs to deliver it to a man. I can take the workshop components and give it to another man to deliver, and I think that would be more powerful than a woman delivering it.
0: And is this around the breath work?
1: Well, there's two things. Okay. The, the first workshop, the workshop is called "Celebrate and Rediscover Yourself." Okay. 100% based on my journey to go from zombie to thriving. And it's okay. to help other people who are maybe in zombie state to walk the process to thriving. And of course, they're not going to do it in the 12 weeks of the program,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: then they'll have some resources that they get to at least start their journey. Again, the journey took me five years, but yeah. you have to start somewhere and you start messy and you just jump in and do it. And with every day you put work in and there is gifts given back to you and you do take steps forward. Yeah, so I think particularly women um, were such givers. Yeah, that a lot of women I think wake up around forty and say, "Oh wow, I've climbed the career ladder. I'm doing great in my career, but my personal eh, life—maybe I don't have anything to talk about on a date." Yeah, (laughs) right. So they need help, or maybe they were taking care of elderly parents, and now they have you know, time back yeah. um, with the passing of their elderly parents. And they look up and they say, wow, I'm so glad I got to be with my parents, but now what do I do? They're not yeah. here anymore. Or you raise kids yeah, and, and the kids become teenagers and they go off to college and you're like, great. I did my job. Yeah. Now it's me time. Yep. And it's just figuring out how do you take those first steps in me time and finding me again. Yeah. Because once you're in those steps and working that process, the momentum gets going, right? Yeah. And everything just happens. But it's those first steps. It's those first ways of where do I start that I think I can offer women a starting Yeah,
0: and a community nice. to
1: support that.
0: Wonderful. And I think I may have some ideas for some men to deliver that program. Ooh, let's yeah. talk. Yeah. Wow, that so would be great. So we'll talk about that. So- and then the breath work. Yeah. And then the breath work. So is is there anything else maybe we didn't mention or touch on that you want to make sure that people know about you and your story?
1: No, I think we touched on everything. I, I think the biggest thing I want people to know is, you know, I did drugs. I left them. I was in deep grief. I moved through it eventually. Yeah. I hit alcohol again after the grief part, like uh, yeah. A few years ago, there was a period of a lot of drinking and then I've moved past that too. Um, I think I want people to know that even when you think you are where you are and that's going to be where you always are, there's always a step yeah. different. There's a step you can take, ask for help. That was my biggest problem is I hate asking for help. Yeah. I always felt like that feels so weak. I don't mm. want to ask for help. And then when I, I met a man named Wyatt Webb, who is actually um, he's an equestrian therapist out in Tucson, Arizona at Miraval, I actually met him the same time I went to the medium. Okay. And he kicked me up one side and down the other, and he was he basically said to me, well he didn't basically he exactly said to me, you think you have your S together? You think you've got it all figured out and you're golden in life. Yeah. I can look at you and I can tell you are a disaster. Yeah. And I mean, I was bawling, but basically after that, he's, and then he lifted me up and put me back together. He's like, just ask for help. Just know where you're hurting. Ask for help.
0: But isn't that the hard thing sometimes to know where you're hurting? Yes. You have to do the work in order to, it feels like, yeah. Yeah.
1: But I would say ask for help. And if you don't know where you're hurting, ask your friends and family because they'll see it. What are you
0: seeing in me? Like what what do you see that's going on?
1: Yeah. But I think anything is possible. It Mm does, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It takes effort and it takes focus. And then sometimes I felt like I had an a side gig. <laughs> I had yeah. a total side hustle for 5 years. <laughs> trying and the side hustle was figuring
0: out who I was. Yeah. But it's possible and you are proving that. So so totally thank you. Possibly. Yeah, thanks yeah. for proving that to us and yeah. and making us realize that it is possible to get through grief or whatever it is you're going through, alcoholism or drugs or anything that you're going through, you there is hope. There and is hope. You can change and you can get through it with help and learning to ask for help. And I'm going to post in the show notes more about your your workshop and how oh, right. to get in touch with you yeah. and your breath work. And I think that's wonderful stuff. So thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate being able to tell my story and hopefully it helps someone.
0: Yeah, thanks. You've been listening to Catalyst for Change and my name is Jessica Huckabee, your host. Join us next week for another story of resiliency and please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and feel free to leave me a comment or email me at catalystforchange20 at gmail.com or on Facebook we have a page at Catalyst for Change Resiliency.